Hey, this is Stan Gibbons, the lead pastor of Northside Bible Church. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. We hope this strengthens and inspires you. We want to encourage you in your relationship with Christ. If there's anything we can do, please reach out to us at northsidemobile.org or you can message us on Facebook and Twitter. Enjoy the sermon. All right, so uh, I want to share with you this morning. Uh, you have you have a couple of good things that are a couple of things about to happen. So, um, first of all, there's a lot of men here. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's awesome. And uh, and ladies, love having you here as well. <laughs> uh, but we've got some some uh, men here. The passage we would be we would be in in Second Timothy uh, is Second Timothy chapter two and verse nine uh, and following. Um, I've prepared notes for that. There's actually this incredibly beautiful set of slides my son made. It's in our Strong Church series, and uh, and we should be in that passage today. And all day yesterday, while I was helping Cody at his house and uh, doing some work with him, uh, man, the Lord was just just pushing me away from taking that next step. Even though the notes are prepared, um, now it's a passage about women. That section is about women's role in life and church. Okay. A little controversial day, don't you think? So I'm going to say this real clear. I'm not chickening out. <laughs> I got the notes ready and everything, but I feel really strongly that to back up one time into the first eight verses where we've been and help you understand the strong church from the passion of this verse that says, God desires all men to be saved. I preached really hard on that last week. If you didn't see it, it's, it's online. Uh, you can get the audio, or I think we still put the Facebook stuff up. So now we we lost that one, didn't we? <laughs> that was not there. We got did we go to Facebook jail for that? We did. As I speak Facebook jail to the Facebook live, I may go to jail again. So it's okay. They put we we played a video at the end that was not our video, and so so they shut that down. But it's okay. <clears throat> it's on audio, and it's in your Bible. All the stuff I said is in your Bible. You can look it up yourself. But here's it was the passion of last week was that we need to compel them to come in. We need to compel the lost to come in. Amen. I'm excited that we're here. Everybody here, uh, I've heard testimonies this morning. I know most of you personally and know your testimony very well. Um, and so you've been compelled at some point in your life by the Holy Spirit um, to get your life right with God and to join with the body of Christ. And that's awesome. Um, but I'm going to stick with that truth this morning. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. How do I know that God loves me? How do I know? This is Strong Church Part 7B. <laughs> it's like an interruption to our series for a minute. But how do I know he loves me? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 says it this way. This is a good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. He even commands those who are saved to lift up holy hands and pray for the salvation in the next verse, or verse 8. I want all men everywhere to lift up holy hands and pray for the salvation of the lost. And by the way, the lift up holy hands is a, is a physical uh, deal. It's okay to pray lifting your hands. If you're inclined to that, please do that. It's, it's actually sort of instructed in the scriptures a good way to pray. Um, there's no bow your head, close your eyes in the scripture. So that's up to you. If you, if you don't concentrate good with your eyes open, it's better to close your eyes so you can concentrate. That's good too. God doesn't care. 
what he wants you to do is pray. And what does he want you to do? Pray with holy hands, which means your hands, which are the work of your life, are purified. You're cleansing yourself. You're fighting for the purity that you need to have. And you're staying as pure as you can. So when you pray to him, you come to him with confessed sins. And you come to him knowing that uh, he is the one who's purified you through his son. You lift up those holy hands and you pray for the salvation of the lost. Even lost um, key leaders in the world that are driving you crazy. If you're, if you're you know, on this side of the aisle... Uh, these people over here drive you absolutely crazy. If you're over here, these people are driving you crazy. And our country is filled with a bunch of people being driven crazy because the aisles are just at war with each other, right? I mean, our country is eat up with this whole, you know, fighting. And here's what the Bible says. Lift up your holy hands. Get your life in the good place with the Lord. Let the Lord do the cleansing and you work towards that and lift up holy hands and pray for the lost. Pray for your kings and your leaders that are lost. Pray for your friends that are lost and compel them to come in. That was last week. But I want to clear some things up about this God situation today so, so that you can hear very clearly and have no doubt. I'd like you to be able to tell every person you talk to these truths that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and there's just four of them. But I want you to be so convinced when we're done that you can't not tell somebody. That's really what I'm praying today. And I prayed really hard this morning right here, that that would be true. So um, first of all, I want you to hear this. God searches for lost and wayward and sinners. He searches for them. He doesn't leave you to yourself. He doesn't abandon the lost and the wayward and the sinner ever. He searches for you. Well, how do you know that, Pastor Dan? Well, I read my Bible in Genesis chapter 3. Why don't you turn there with me? Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Adam and Eve. Huh. Some of y'all know how I say this, but Adam and Eve broke everything. You ever break something real important or your mama's? Wave, wave, my, my little brother. Don't, yeah, my little brother broke half the stuff in our house, including the door one time. I did, I did, I did break the other <clears throat> But you broke a door one time. Bad. You, that was, nah, that's not me. Ch chasing me through the house with an axe and then throwing the axe at me as I ran out the door. It was probably not good, so... We had a little rift going there, a little strife. We don't even know what that fight was over, but it was a funny, it was a terrifying time for all of us, especially the guy being chased. So, but but have you ever broken something really important that belonged to your mom or somebody somebody you love? You just broke it. Like, oh my gosh, right? You know what Adam broke? Creation. <laughs> he broke the creation that God created that God said was good. That's exactly how I want it to be. Adam and Eve in the garden, sinless pure, holy, righteous, uh, enjoying fellowship with me and intimacy with one another, transparency. It's all beautiful. And then Eve got deceived and Adam willfully disobeyed. We'll talk about that next week when we get on the women's thing because women get all, you know, I mean, they get all upset that, that God's down on them. And actually God's very clear that he loves women very much. That's next week. Don't go there. So, but here's, here's where we are. Adam broke all of creation and God had to bring consequences that basically ruined that which was good and beautiful, right? And so here's what God said. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. If you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Now, when, when we find Adam and Eve in chapter 3, verse 1 through 6, they have uh, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the garden. 
uh, figgio camo, maybe is what they got. <clears throat> They're dressed in their figgio camo, hiding in a maybe a fig tree or a bush. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, Pastor Stan says God searches for sinners. Huh, that's probably not true. Well, yeah, it is. Genesis 3, verse 8. Then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? You think for one second God the Creator, God Almighty, doesn't know exactly what bush, exactly what bush in the garden he created, on the planet he created, in the universe he created, that Adam, his son, he created is hiding? No, he knows exactly where he is. Why does he ask where you are? Where are you? Because he knows Adam's not where he belongs, which is on the path that they walk in the garden. There's a pathway that God wants us to walk. And Adam, if you were right with me, you would be standing right here waiting on my presence. But you're not because you've sinned. And God knows that. God knows they've sinned. How does he know? Well, one, of, one he knows everything. Two, when he shows up to find, when Adam finally shows up, he's wearing clothes, which wasn't part of the design. And, and, and he asked Adam, you know, who told you you were naked? And uh, did you eat of the fruit? And Adam very foolishly gives the wrong answer. He actually doesn't, doesn't tell the truth. Um, he shifts blame and shame because once we're cursed with sin, it's how we respond to people. We shame and blame one another. So you know what God could have done, maybe should have done right there? Hmm, wrong answer. You're done. You're out. You're dead. Starting over, scratch, right? You guys with your video games, you can just go, want to reset? <laughs> he could have just went, reset. Let's go, let's get a new Adam, you know, maybe a new Eve too, I don't know, but at least a new Adam, because man, he didn't even tell me, he didn't even come clean right there when he had a chance. That's not what God does. God has a long conversation when he says, Adam, here's all the consequences of what you just, when you broke it, son, you did a good job. You broke it well, and it's going to be very costly. Everybody born, under your genetics, which is everybody, we all have one great, 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 great grandfather. Everybody born under your genetics is going to have a sin nature, and there's going to be all kinds of trouble from that. All kinds. Just what's going to happen now. But then he tells Eve, I'm going to send a seed of this woman one day that will crush the head of that serpent. It's the picture of redemption in Genesis chapter 3. What does God do when Adam sins? He searched him out. He didn't abandon him. He didn't, he didn't judge him to kill him instantly. Matter of fact, Adam lived a very long and prosperous life. Now, he had some challenges. His, one of his sons killed his, one of his other sons, right? He had some murder in his family. That was painful. But he lived. God let him live a physically long life to see the fruit of his life, to see the work of God, to see the plans of God. And God doesn't judge us hard. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. How many sinners are in the room? Raise your hand. If you're a real sinner, raise both hands. And, and and is anybody here dead? Just just checking. We all got good heartbeats, don't we? He didn't kill you. He loved you. He sought you out. He seeks you out to help you. So God searches for sinners. Much of the Old Testament story is the story of Israel falling away from God. Some of you know your Bible enough to know uh, Israel was God's chosen people, and they kept running away from Him. They kept abandoning Him, searching out other gods, wanting to be like other nations. When they were in the bondage of Egypt. What did God do? Well, he searched them out. In Exodus chapter 3, if you're taking notes, you could write this down. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, and I am aware of their suffering. 
So God says, I've, I've found my people and here's what's happening to them. They are suffering. I've searched them out. They've made a mess out of this. Uh, so I've come down from Egypt to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Termites and all the other ites. Now behold the cry, verse 9, Exodus 3, 9. Behold the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. And I've seen their oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. That's how God does it. He searches out. Right? God searches out wayward, lost people. There's a great story in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's a picture of, of our, our sinfulness and God's grace to us. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, there's a guy named Mephibosheth. Somebody say that. Yeah, good luck with it. Try to say it three times fast. And, a, he, and Mephibosheth's in a big old mess because he was born to King Saul as King Saul's grandson. And at five years old, uh, King Saul uh, died in a battle and and is, is gone. And a new king has come in. That's King David. And when the new king comes in, the old king has to go and all his people have to go. And in that culture, you wiped them all out. You killed everybody in the bloodline of Saul. Bloodlines, uh, or King Saul's veterinarian would have been executed. You just don't keep them around because they, they can come back and overthrow. Say, so, hey, I used to be the son of, I'm the grandson. This is the direct grandson of Saul. He could go, I want the throne back. Right? And there'd be all this strife in the thing. So kings typically wipe out the other deal. Well, instead of that happening, one of the servants, when, when uh, Mephibosheth was five years old, is running away out of town, gathering up all their stuff, running away, carrying this little five-year-old, drops him, and he cripples him in both legs. So at five years old, he's crippled in both legs and lives his whole adult life in, in a place called Lodabar. Second Samuel 9 says he lives in a place called Lodabar. So he's a guy with the wrong bloodline. He's a crippled, fugitive farmer, fugitive from the law. He's a, he's a crippled farmer, which is pretty hard to do anyway in that culture especially. Not like he's going to ride in a John Deere tractor getting his work done, right? And then he's farming in a place called Lodabar, which means no life. The, the place he's trying to grow a farm is named No Life, Barren. That sounds fun. Uh, and King David says, chapter 9, verse 1, if you look up 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, he says, is there anyone I can show kindness to from the house of Saul? What's the king doing? He's searching. He's searching for somebody to show grace to. And it's somebody that doesn't deserve grace because he's in the wrong bloodline. He's not even good at being a farmer, by the way. So the king of Israel, man after God's own heart, David, is searching for somebody who's undeserving. In Luke chapter 19, if you want to go to the New Testament, the people are grumbling with Jesus again for going to a tax collector's home there's a short man named Zacchaeus there. And Jesus has gone in and had a great conversation with little Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus has come to faith. He's no longer a selfish, terrible, horrible person. He's changed. Once I was, then I met Jesus, now I am. Right? And he's changed. And the religious people of the day are grumbling with him. And Jesus says, I came, John 19, I came to seek and save that which was lost. He's like, guys, y'all don't get this at all. He's looking at the, the teachers of the law. Y'all don't get this at all. I'm seeking these kinds of people. 
He actually says in another text, he goes, I don't go to people who are well. I go to the ones who are sick. So what does God do? What is God teaching us? That he is a seeker of those who are lost and wayward. Those who are sinners, God seeks them out. Don't ever let somebody tell you that God's not trying to help them or interested in them. I don't care how far down the road they've gone. I don't care how many messes they've made. I don't care how many sins they've committed. I don't care how many crimes they've committed. It doesn't matter. You can't. Romans chapter 5, verse 19 to 21 says, where sin abounds, grace superabounds. The grace of God always abounds greater than the sin of mankind. You can't out-sin grace of God. You can't. God, because God's a seeker of those who are lost. Amen? So if you're... And then the second thing I want you to hear is that God sends help. God sends a helper for us. For Adam, God showed up himself. There wasn't many other people around at the time, by the way, so Eve had already kind of messed things up a little bit. She got real confused with this brilliant serpent. He could have sent some angels, which he will eventually, but he just needed to come down himself and kind of straighten things out, didn't he? So what did God do? He just walked in the garden. He just walked with a sinner. I get, I get a little confused with this theology that people have that God can't fellowship with sinful people. My uncle died, and in, in my, my uncle Elgin died, in a hospital here um, with about 50 ailments. Um, he lived a very hard, cruel life, alcohol and all kinds of stuff. He was in the army for all of his life and, and um, Memorial Day, by the way. So happy Memorial Day. I should have said that earlier. It was on a slide and I, I just lost track of that, excited about the music today. Um, but happy Memorial Day to you. And let's honor those that have, have fallen in, in, in service for us. Amen. Amen. Love, love those guys that gave their life. But, but I do want to say my uncle was in, in, on his deathbed, and a bunch of us were asking him, please trust Christ. And here's what he said. He said this to my pastor from this church who's with the Lord now. He said this to my pastor. He said, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I have messed up too many things. I've sinned way too much, and God doesn't want anything to do with me. That's just not true. It's not true when you read your Bible. Now, it's true when you hear when you hear certain theologians say God doesn't ever fellowship with darkness and he can't be around lost people. He can't be around sinful people. Jesus walked right up in the middle of sinful people all day, every day. It was the people he chose to hang out with. So don't get that in your head that God can't help somebody that's broken. He actually wants to help them. And he sends helpers. He, he came to Adam himself and visited. For Israel, he sent two guys named Moses and Aaron. There's a couple of great guys. Moses and Aaron. And when he sent Moses and Aaron, uh, and by the way, he sent a host of prophets to try to correct Israel's waywardness as well. He just kept sending people. He just kept sending people. You know why? Because he loves lost. He loves wayward. He loves people who wander, who, people who struggle. He loves you that much. God desires that all men would be saved. Don't ever think he doesn't. Well, who did he send to Mephibosheth? Well, he sent a guy named Zeba, one of my heroes. I have, I have a list of people I'm dying to meet in, in heaven, and Zeba's on my list. Uh, I don't know, you know, I'm going to try to meet Jesus pretty early in that, in that deal and uh, like to hang out with him for a little while. Uh, the disciples, of course, pretty crazy about some of those guys. Um, but man, Zeba, if you don't, if, if you just please work on being a Zeba, because Zeba just knew where the loss was. Because when David says, is there anyone, 2 Samuel 9, is there anyone I can show favor to, grace, from the house of Saul, Ziba goes, oh, I know a guy. I'll take you to him. I know right where he lives in Lodabar. And Ziba helps go get 
Mephibosheth. So God sends helpers. You get it? God sends helpers. Who did he send to Zacchaeus? He sent a guy named Jesus. The one who came to us all, by the way. He came to save all of us. And to Zacchaeus, it was a physical visit. Zacchaeus up in a tree trying to see him. And Jesus walking by and goes, Hey, you little, little man in a tree. I'm going to come to your house and eat today. Like, Miles. Really? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? Jesus just walked by and saw you and went, Hey, I'm going to come to your house and eat today. All you women be like, oh my God, did we clean the bathroom? I'll be all upset. Zacchaeus is like, sure, man, be awesome. Listen to me. If you are lost, if you're lost, God is sending somebody to help you today. If you're lost, God's sending somebody to help you. Listen to him. Listen to her. The voice of God is coming to help you through that person, and they're acting as a voice of God to help you to a better place. But if you're already a child of God, if you're here and you're already a child of God and you've been found, you're supposed to be, he's sending you to somebody. You understand? You're either being chased after by God or you're helping God chase somebody. That's your two choices in the body of Christ. And that's what I'm trying to tell you. First Timothy chapter two is all about. We are to love the lost and go after them. We're to pray for them. We're to reach out to them and get to know them. God sends helpers and we're supposed to be part of the helping crew of God. So God searches for us, then he sends help for us, and then he always rescues those who call out. He always rescues those who call out to him. And I'm going to read the passage, uh, the rest of the passage that you read for us this morning, Amanda. Jeremiah 29 verse 11 uh, is the verse about he has this uh, plan for you for peace and, and help and prosperity. Listen to Jeremiah 29 verse 12 through 14. If you're making notes, Jeremiah 29 12 through 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your lands. If you call upon me with all your heart, I'd like to get uh, just a, a handhold testimony for a moment. How many of you have called upon him half-heartedly before? You know what's really cool about that? He still he still listens, right? It, it may not connect, though, because here's who he's going to help, is when you get real right and real serious, and you say, Lord, all my heart, no kidding, with all my heart, I'm, let, I'm letting go of everything, and all my heart, I'm going to seek you and find you. And God says, man, you'll find me real easy when it's all your heart because I can read your heart, right? There's a great quote by Max Lucado in a book called Stunned by His Grace. Max Lucado says it this way. I've never been surprised by God's judgment, but I'm still stunned by His grace. Story after story, prayer after prayer, surprise after surprise, seems that God is looking more for more, way, for more ways to get us home than for ways to keep us out. I challenge you to find one soul who came to God seeking grace and did not find it. Search the pages, read the stories, envision the encounters, find one person who came seeking a second chance and left with a stern lecture. I dare you. Search, you won't find it. It seems to me that God gives a lot more grace than we would ever imagine. So God rescues us in our sin. He's the one that sent his son as a rescue to us. It's actually part of what the Greek word means. And 
in, in Galatians, there's, there's a phrase that, that Paul uses to say, God rescued us from our sins. He rescued us from it. Now, when I first taught that, I, I even taught it here at the church when we did our Galatians series. I had all these really awesome videos of Coast Guard rescues. There's some live footage of all that. It's really crazy. Go online, look it up on YouTube. Um, but I, I saw, don't do that. We'll lose Facebook. Don't do it. <laughs> Um, but I saw these great videos of Coast Guard people, rescue swimmers, rescuing people that were drowning. Their boat had capsized, they're drowning, or they, they, they were in just perilous waters and they needed help. And the Coast Guard rescued them. And I said, this is what we're supposed to be doing. And then I, I reminded everybody, we're the person that's drowning. We have, we can't, we're too far out of the ocean to swim to safety. And then I went to camp one year and shared a little bit of that. And one of the pastors, you know, I have a bunch of pastors at camp. Pastor Paul, who I spoke with yesterday at length on the phone, uh, Pastor Paul Jettle, one of my friends, said, "Hey, I want to challenge your analogy of that. I don't think we we're—I don't think we're drowning and trying to swim to shore." I went, "Sure, we are." He goes, "No," because I used to say it this way. I thought it was so eloquent. We're drowning in a sea of sin. Doesn't that sound good? We're drowning in a sea of sin. No, it's wrong. Sounds good. Preach is good, by the way. It's eloquent. It's wrong. You know what we're doing? We're laying on the bottom. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You weren't, you weren't swimming, gasping for air, praying you didn't die. You were dead. We were at the bottom of the ocean, done. Helicopters not even going to see us where we are. You know who sees us? The one who searches. He searches us out while we're dead in our trespasses and sin. He searches for us and he dives down to the bottom of the ocean and brings us to the surface and breathes new life back in us. All things new. He makes us new. He, Ephesians chapter 2, he makes us alive. You hath he quickened, made alive, who were dead in your trespasses and sin. So he rescues us. Then I want you to hear this at the end. God rejoices over our return. You know, when you guys are giving your testimonies this morning and there was hooping, and we, we, we clapped. There's hooping and hollering in heaven. Heaven's, heaven celebrates the saints who have chosen to follow Christ. They celebrate it. And he rejoices over our return and our rescue. Luke chapter 15. Turn there with me. Luke chapter 15. We'll finish with this. Luke has an interesting context. There's, there's two groups of people on two corners of an intersection where Jesus is hanging out. One is the religious people, the Pharisees, the, the righteous, the smart. They're brilliant, by the way. They're lawyers of lawyers. Man, they know their Bibles. And there's these, there's these religious people hanging out on one corner, looking across the corner at these sinners and tax collectors and commoners. Publicans, they call them. And it says, um, all the tax gatherers, chapter 15, verse 1, and sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. And then the religious people, verse 2, began grumbling, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Yep, he sure does. He sure does. So this is the place where Jesus tells three stories in a row. It's one of the rare times that Jesus actually links up three parables very quickly. To say, guys, look, and, and he calls everybody together. He, he's like, I'm sure he said it loud enough because it's really for the Pharisees that he's telling these stories. I'm sure he's telling it loud enough for them. 
So here's what he goes. Let me, let me just tell you all three stories. There was this uh, shepherd who had 100 sheep. 99 of them were safe in the fold. But there's that one stupid, rebellious, stubborn, ignorant, foolish sheep. He's wandered far away. We had the song play last week. He's wandered far away. And the shepherd says to one of his buddies, hey, will you watch my sheep for me? I got to go. Because one, I got 99 safe. But I got one that matters. I'm going to go get him. The Bible says the shepherd wandered all over, found him, and brought him home. And then it says in, in Luke 15, when he brought him home, he rejoiced. He celebrated with his shepherd friends to say, look, that which was lost has been found. When you give your testimony, when you tell your story, the, the angels in heaven and the, the saints gone on before, shepherds from years before, the shepherd of this church, my, with all my heart, I believe this, David J. Jones, the founding pastor of this church who helped me get into ministry, by the way, who guided my young life right here at this altar. David J. Jones in heaven. I bet some angel went to him and whispered, hey, little church you started? Yeah, they're testifying today. The lost have been found and they're just telling everybody. And I bet David and his buddies, his family and his friends gathered in heaven and said, Whew, <laughs> rejoice. That which was lost has been found. And he got to be a part of that. I really believe that. You can get to heaven when you ask and see if I was wrong. Then Jesus says there was this lady, this widow lady. She had a few coins that were very valuable because they were her retirement. It's the only way she's going to live is a widow. And she lost one. You're like losing tens of thousands of dollars at one time for her life. Her life savings gone. So she empties the house and cleans it and sweeps the whole house. She searches. What did the shepherd do? He searched. What did the lady do? She searched. What does God do? He searches for the lost. Finds the, finds the coin. And when she does, she calls everybody over. Hey, 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 hey. Celebrate with me. That which was lost has been found. Now, what was lost to the shepherd? Something very valuable. What was lost to the woman? Something very valuable. And then he tells a third story. And he says, there was this father who had two sons. And one of them said, I'd like all my inheritance. I'd like all the money you owe me when I finally, when you punt, I'd like all that money. Now, I want to get my inheritance now. And I, want to, I don't want to live here with you anymore. I don't want to be on the farm. I don't want to be in all this stuff you got. I'm gone. And in rebellion... This guy we call the prodigal takes all his stuff and he goes away to a foreign land. Bible says he squandered away his living on riotous living. I don't want to get any testimonies, but I know you know what I'm talking about. Squandered away his living on riotous living. He did all he wanted to do. Let me tell you something about, let me tell you something about prodigal life. Prodigal life is all about what I want, how I want it. Nobody's in charge of me. Prodigal life says... When people come to a prodigal, and some of them are the ones you're supposed to be witnessing to, right? Brian, you're on. You, you got Brian's. You're, you're all on the hill with a bunch of them, right? And what do they say? Oh, I'm okay. I got this. I got this. I know what I'm doing. I'm okay. Uh, I'm not as bad as so and so. That's prodigal thinking, by the way, and stinking thinking. It's wrong. You are as bad as so and so. You're as bad as every so and so you can name. Matter of fact, you're worse than them because you know all your sins. You don't know all theirs. So don't 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 get lost in that. 
very dangerous thought pattern of, of being a prodigal. God would never exact judgment on me because he knows in my heart I'm a good person. Yes, he would. In your heart, you're not a good person. Man's heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, 9. Every heart in here is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. So don't live in that. But here's what the prodigal finally did. You say, well, Pastor Dan, you know, prodigal is out there in that pig pen. Y'all know the story. He's a young Jewish boy that's decided he's going to live his life and he's run out of money. And a famine hits the, the land. Imagine that. Now let's a famine hit the land to draw, dry up everything. So this boy has nothing now. He's lost all his parents' resources. He shamed the name of his father. He's lived like an idiot, a sinful, stupid idiot, and he finds himself in a pig pen. I have a whole sermon called Pig Pen Theology, by the way. It's a great place to get right and get your theology fixed. You say, well, look, look you know, who, who did God send to him? I want you to hear this verse. Luke chapter 15, verse 17. When he came to his senses, right? He's in a pig pen. So I think God sent pigs, by the way. Uh, I also think he sent pig food because he was so hungry. The food of the pigs looked good to him. The pea pods looked good to him. But here's who he sent. Look what he says. He said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? And I'm dying here with hunger. I will go to my father. You know who the prodigal got as a, Somebody that God sent to him, it was his dad. His dad was in his head. His dad's life of holiness and righteousness and goodness of the farm was stuck in his head. And God sent that as a reminder saying, what are you doing? And he came to his senses. And he said, I'm going to get up and go to my father and say to my father, here's his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. Now you read the rest of the story. He never gets that sentence done. Because his dad sees him coming a long ways off. Because God, God's a searcher. God's searching for his son. He's longing for his son. When the, when the son's coming down the road, the father runs out to him and embraces him. And the, and the son starts the sentence. Father, I have sinned. And he goes, whoa. And, and actually in the, in the text... The father stops him from finishing the sentence. He doesn't let him do any of that. He actually says, and I think it's because the dad's hugging him so tight he can't breathe, he can't talk. He actually says, go get rings and robes and barbecue. That's just my translation. The fatted cow's got to be some barbecue in there somewhere. All right? Go get some rings and robes and some big steaks. Let's make some barbecue ribs. My son that was lost is home. You know what we do? We rejoice when that which is lost comes back. You know what God does? He rejoices. He searches for us. He sends people to help us. God sent some people to help you. I think you helped you. Am I remembering that right? I think you helped you. Right? He sends people to help you. And then what does he do? Well, then he, he rescues you. Then he rejoices when you come back. But you know what he wants you to do now? Be the guy that goes. Be the gal that goes. You're supposed to go out and, and help. You're supposed to go out and help. God rejoiced over him and through a party. And there's parties in heaven all the time when people come back. And we need to be praying for more people to come back. Northside, I'm telling you, it's time. It's time for God to open the doors of heaven and get more people in the chairs. Remember the story from last week? 
where the master said, look, there's all these empty seats. Compel them to come. It's just time. I'm excited God's bringing you here. I'm excited God's using you to, to reach the lost, but we got to get after it. And I'm telling you, LeBaron Woods is one of the places we need to get after. They're our neighbors. That's our neighborhood right there. And nobody that's sitting here lives in LeBaron. So we need to go get them. We need to go love on them. Just go for a walk in the neighborhood and meet somebody and tell them God loves them. Tell them you heard this crazy pastor talking on Sunday. Here's what he said. I don't care how you do it. Tell them your story. Pastor said, I have to tell people my story. So can you just give me a second so I can obey my pastor? I'm telling you, throw me under that bus all day long. Just tell somebody, my pastor said I have to do this. So is it okay if I just tell you something crazy about me? It takes 42 seconds or whatever it is. It's awesome. Right? Just tell your story. But we got to get serious about the lost. Because God desires all men to be saved. All of them. And it's our job to help make that happen. Which is why Paul's saying, in Timothy, the strong church cares about the lost. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. We're going to sing a closing song together. Lord, I give you my heart. We'll sing that uh, as the singers get ready to do that. So let me pray as we do that. Father, we lift up your name above every name. We ask that you would uh, make us lovers of lost people. God, I pray we would have see the world with, through the eyes of Jesus. Lord, help us see lost people with the same compassion, the same mercy that Jesus had upon them. Let us not judge them and condemn them, but let us long for them to be rescued from all that. Let us think hard about ways, Lord, strain our minds to come up with ways to tell people how to see you more real. Let us tell the world you're not a judge, a cruel judge. You're a searching God, a saving God, a rescuing God, a loving God. Let us figure out ways to communicate that more frequently. Lord, give us courage to do it. Courage. We need courage, wisdom, and strength to do it. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.